Hug them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. This is Hour 3 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side... Big Dog Sports Talk Power Hour. It's hour three of the program. Hope you're well wherever you might be. Tim Thomas in about half an hour, a little less. 639-4900, that's the Louise Baker team hotline. Text line 744-2990. Many folks chiming in on the uh, happenings last night with the AFC Championship game. Now we're getting, I guess, a little bit later audience joining us than the uh, 6 o'clock hour where we covered it all. But that's fine. I have people asking my take on it. For the first time in a long while, I got to admit, I think something was going on last night. I do. I don't know whether it was just a conscious effort. You know, Marva makes sense as well that there's so many people that have to be in on it being a blatant fixing of a game that maybe I chalk it more up to just continued and utter ineptitude from the officials. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and we've seen it in all sports. It's happening everywhere across the board where the officiating is just not up to par with where it needs to be. And this isn't someone who has a fan bias in the game last night. It just You just watch that fourth quarter unfold. You watch the fifth down play. You watch the block that was missed on the punt return. You watch the holding call on the Mahomes scramble. Look, I think the call out of bounds, the hit laid out of bounds, was the right call in all likelihood, given the rule. That's not even the call that I'm even talking about. But 
when the officiating is the thing that's overshadowing the game so far, and I've looked, I've watched Twitter closely this morning. NFL rigged is still trending, trending pretty heavily on Twitter. Um, that's a problem for the league, whether they want to admit it or not. They probably will not. I've been talking about it. I don't believe that they're going to address any of this. They'll just continue to go along with all of their $20 billion profit arrogance and move on. Roger Goodell doesn't try to do anything to, to help these matters. He'll just ignore it. But it's a problem. So now you're going to have a lot of folks, fans or not, that believe that this whole thing was set up for the storylines, for Andy Reid going back against his old team, for Patrick Mahomes going back to the Super Bowl, fighting through the leg injury, the Kelsey brothers. Oh, it's going to be classic to see the two brothers. I mean, they're both play on offense, so it's not like they go head-to-head. Let me just end any of that storyline right there. But yeah, for me, it, it, it bothers me. It bothers me tremendously. Because even if you don't believe that something is predetermined, now you have this idea in the back of your head, well, as good as that game was developing into, it was taken away by the officials one way or the other. And anybody who's not a Chiefs fan is going to see that all of either the calls or the no calls slanted in the favor of one team. All right? But it's tough, man. It's tough to watch something like that unfold. Let's go to the Baker team hotline. Hey, good morning. Who's this? Hokey Bob at your service, young man. Hey, Hokey Bob. Good morning. How are you? You're missing the you're missing the Super Bowl headline. <laughs> what, what what is it? <laughs> Andy Reid faces Kelsey's brother. Yeah, it's it is, isn't it? Going back to his old team. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Returning once again to the land where he once conquered. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Let me tell you, I was at the games Saturday night, the men's game. Yeah. At uh, Castle Coliseum. Mm -hmm. And it just brought great pleasure to me to see Jim Boeheim walk off the court once again a loser. (laughs) Right. I still I was here during the old Metro days when Jim spoke very, very despairingly about Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, and I have never forgotten that. And I was just so glad to be there to give Jim the proper send-off after the game. Well, yeah. I mean, how about the old Metro Conference, by the way? Oh, man. I love the, the Metro days. Conference. I know. I know. Oh, uh, Les Henson hitting that uh, full court shot. Florida yeah, State. It's Florida State. Uh, I was in Squire Student Center watching it on that big projection television that you needed 3D glasses just to be able to see a picture. <laughs> right. And uh, but I remember the whole campus exploded that night. I, w- I walked outside and horns were blowing and fireworks were going off. You know, it was it was you know because. You know, back in those days, the only thing you had to get your mind off things was sports, basically, around here. There were yep. no iPhones. Heck, half, half the places around here didn't even have cable television when I was here. So, at any rate, 
wonderful time, and the women had a nice win against UVA. We needed that one as well. They did. So, that was a big road win for them. It is. That's not easy to go to. It's not easy to play your rival on the road. Never. No, especially, you know, they packed that arena. You got to hand it to them. They do a good job with that. So, they do. Uh, they do. But anyway, it's all, hey, other than the wrestling match Friday night, uh, Hokies had a big weekend. Yeah, they did. They did. I think the men's team is definitely uh, heading in the right direction. Boy, they got two really good tests. We'll find out. This road, You got to win a road game. David Teal's right. They got to start winning on the road. They haven't yet. Okay. Will that happen tomorrow? We'll see. No doubt about that. You know, you brought up a good point. UNC is 10-0 and at home. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we are not. So, anyway, we need this game coming up. But right. Everybody right. have a great week. Thanks for all you do, my friend. All right. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate you, man. Good stuff. 639-4900. Oh, the old Metro Conference. I mean, it was, it was so much fun. So much fun to watch that league. Of course, Tech was a part. I think Tech was in the Metro from, what, late 70s to 95 or something like that? It's St. Louis. Remember Memphis State? They were Memphis State then. Keith Lee and company. Tulane was in that league. Southern Miss. South Carolina was in that league. And then later in the final few years, I think you had, what, South Florida. VCU was there, too, if I'm not mistaken. Georgia Tech was there. They were a charter member, but then they fled shortly, I think, to the ACC in 78, 79. I don't know. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. But what what great basketball. Charlie Moyer and those Virginia Tech teams. Del Solomon. I mean, how good was he? And, yeah, the Les Henson shot against Florida State. Remember watching that on TV, the turn and just the one arm heave. Good stuff, man. Florida State was there until 91, right? A lot of those teams that went on to the ACC were part of the Metro Conference. Great basketball league. So much fun. Bill Roth loves to tell stories about Mike Burnup as well, the old Metro Conference days. But, yeah, there were a lot of schools, Yeah, Jim Beheim being one. Tech was criticized a lot, and they would never be ACC material. And sure enough, they get into the ACC. Of course, for Tech after the Metro, it was the Big East, and then, then they went on and the ACC. But still, nonetheless, it was a lot of fun to watch basketball during that time and you're just getting introduced to the sport right old school basketball didn't have the three-point line yet or the shot clock which you know there have been evolutionary changes to sports that are good and both of those have been very good for basketball the shot clock in particular because you know dean smith Won a lot of games, but he also held the ball for a lot of possessions, the four corners. One of the most disgusting acts in basketball history, the four corners. I think it was a Duke game. It was a Duke game back before they instituted the shot clock. And I'm pretty sure it was like a 12-8 to halftime score just because of the way Carolina played it. It was just passing the ball around and Duke wasn't fouling. Just not what the game's supposed to be. 
hated the four corners. That's not strategy. Sorry, Carolina fan. That's not strategy. That's cowardice. Play the game. But anyway, <laughs> as, as it worked out, the old Metro was a lot of fun. <laughs> Rodney says, four corners, it's called victory. <laughs> uh, very fun. Very fun. Thank God it's over. Thank the Lord we don't have to deal with that anymore. You, you wonder how they went so long now in retrospect watching the game. You know, in the NBA, we were used to seeing the shot clock. Of course, it's dwindled down over the years now to the 24 seconds. But you wonder how the college game went so long without one. You know, you really do. But I'm so glad that it's been implemented. It's helped the game so much. And I think the three-point line's in a good spot now. It used to be so close. And for a lot of these guys, it does seem close, but I think it's in a pretty good spot, a lot closer to the NBA distance. So I think the court markings are really good now, college basketball. Just don't mess with it. I think the um, putting the charge arc underneath has is is, is been a good addition as well. Makes it a little easier on some of those calls. Lord knows the officials need all the help they can get. But yeah, coming off the game last night, officials are in the, 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 the full front picture of this thing the day after. NBA officials have to issue an apology, use the term we are embarrassed by the missed call on LeBron, and then I call a college basketball game Saturday in which there were 44 fouls called Radford and USC Upstate. And in one segment of the game, there were five, call, uh, five fouls called within 20 seconds. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Not one-sided calls against Radford, but against both teams. And you're just sitting there going, well, you know, there is contact in basketball that doesn't affect the flow of the game. (laughs) And I think of the five calls, three or four of them, I think at least three of them were away from the ball, whatever you're calling, nowhere near the play. And nobody could get into a flow, and I don't know how in the world these coaches can stay as calm as they do during these games. Uh, Kudos to Darius Nichols and Dave Dickerson for keeping their professionalism through that game because there were things that were going on there that I had not seen before. And I don't know why. I had a nice surprise. Mike Ashley showed up down there. He was coming back from Florida, and he called the game with me, and Mike just had to sit there and shake his head, and he just got quiet. He goes, I have no idea what to say about this. We're going to talk to him about it on Friday. And I don't either. I don't know how it has gotten to the point to where now college basketball officials are making more money than they ever have. They're going to get a raise, a bump, by the way, next year, but yet the quality of that craft has deteriorated so much. I don't, I don't know why or how. I really don't. NFL, it's an easy problem to fix. You make them all full-time. You give them incentive. You train them. 
You get them in shape, just like the football team. I don't think there's a lot of guys who would turn that down if you were given a, a larger salary. I mean, you're a billion-dollar corporation, and you can't fix your officiating. I mean, whether the league's going to admit it or not, I know behind closed doors they have to be cringing when you see that the number one trending thing about your league on Twitter isn't the Super Bowl, it's NFL rigged, right? Regardless of how they want to try to sweep it under the rug or say people are delusional, whatever it might be, that's not a good look. And if the league had any leadership other than the one that was able to sign contracts so they make billions of dollars – they would go about trying to put this fire out. But they will ignore it, and you won't see it covered, by the way, very much because keep in mind, everywhere you're watching, everywhere you're watching, they're partners with the league, and they're not allowed to get into these types of discussions that we've had here today. Don't want to rock the boat. But I can, and I'm telling you, even if I don't want to believe that the game was determined last night in that fourth quarter by the officials, I will say this. The officiating definitely slanted in a large favor toward the Kansas City Chiefs. And that, even Chief fans, well, maybe not. Chief fans are going to say people are just complaining. But in any event, it is what it is. You have your thoughts and opinions about it. Outside of Kansas City, I'm sure everybody's looking at it the same way. Hope you're well wherever you might be. We'll take a break. Tim Thomas in about 10 minutes from the Tech Lunch Pail. We'll be back. something how you missed that well here it is listen to big dog sports talk anytime yeah we missed you so much available wherever you get your podcasts btsd will return in a moment on wrad The last thing I want to do is answer a lot of questions. Actual footage from the NFL about their officiating at the press conference. Ron just sent us a message on the text line. The leagues and the conferences in college have nobody to blame but themselves. If you talk about the officiating, there's fines, there's threats being made. Can never bring up the officials. They don't have to come out and talk after the game. And now something like this happens, and they work even harder to cover it up. Thanks, Ron. Yeah. That's right. Anytime a coach or player tries to express anything about what they're experiencing out there, nope, can't do it. If you do it, you're in trouble. Don't you dare question them. No, they don't have to stand up there. Yes, student athletes on a losing team, college kids, yep. You have to get up there in a press conference, but nope, not these guys that are making bank for their two hours of work. Nope, not them. They don't have to. Sorry. 
We'll see if the NFL sweeps this right under that rug. Right under that $20 billion a year rug. Let's see what they do. And we'll see how much it actually gets progressed today, the conversation with all these folks that have the national pundits and platforms that are associated with the league. How many of them will actually attack this? Ah, I'm guessing it'll be few and far between. Tim Thomas from the Tech Lunch Pail joins us next. We'll be back. Twenty-five minutes for the top of the hour. Hope you're well wherever you might be. Get back to your text messages. A lot of them flying in about the mess that was the AFC Championship game last night. Joining us now on the program, he is the founder and the editor of the Tech Lunch Pail. He covers it all for you regarding the Chicago Maroon and Burnt Orange. His name is Tim Thomas. Tim, how are you? Good morning. Rick, I'm doing great. You know, I tell you, you bring up last night's game. And- oh. I tell you, Travis Kelsey at the end of the game, look, Cincinnati, they talked a whole lot of trash, and Rhett came due last <laughs> night for the Bengals. Um, well. Tra- I mean, Travis Kelsey going out there, you know, bringing out the rock and reference and all that stuff. I mean, come on. That, <laughs> that, that was just fantastic. That was just fantastic. Well, unfortunately, though, the, the officiating is a bigger story than the game, and that's the problem with the NFL this morning. And They'll ignore it, though, right? They'll ignore yeah. it. They'll ignore it. They'll sweep it under the rug. Yeah. We'll forget. Honestly, we'll probably forget about it in a couple of days. But, yeah. Yeah. It's got to yeah. be better. Well, we'll see. We'll it, see. Should, it should be. But, hey, at least it's not the replacement reps. As a Packers fan, I still remember that infamous Monday Night Football game. Well, man, let's talk about Tech Hoops. Um, you got a nice piece about Tech, and they did. They shot right through and over that Syracuse vaunted zone. Hunter Couture back. This team makes uh, 13 threes. I mean, you watched the game. What did you like best about, other than Tech making shots, what did you like about their approach to taking on Syracuse the second time around? Yeah, I think, like I said, you mentioned that piece Will Lawson just put together yesterday. We just ran it this morning here. It's a great piece. You're okay. I encourage you to take, you know, if you want to know how Tech did it, go to techlunchbell.com and read that piece. Their feature store right now on site. But, you know, when you have Justin Muck, when you have a guy who can pass the a six seven four who passes the ball as well as he does, it's almost a perfect situation. Uh, I mean, there's just he's just so long and the decision making. I mean, we saw it, you know, years ago when Keel Alexander Walker when he was here, he was he took on that, you know, high post free throw line distributor role and was a fact so good at it. It's rare you can have a forward do that. You know, usually you have to think, all right, am I going to have my point guard or am I going to have to have a different guard in, in that role? And, you know, I think Mutz did so well in that. I mean, having Hunter Couture and the threat that he brings is, is big. And Grant Fazilli did a great job manipulating the baseline really well. Um, I mean, there were plenty of – whether he got to the corner and, you know, had some threes that he missed. Um, and he'd probably love that back. But, I mean, was so efficient on – was efficient overall on the day. Uh, to have another 25 points, uh, huge game from him. And you look at MJ Collins and and what he what he continues to do. Um, and, and a guy like John Camden deserves a ton of credit. I mean, that's the best game he's had 
um, in a hooky uniform by far. I don't think it's particularly, you know, I can't think back to too many of those games. We had some okay games, but that was a big game for Camden. And look, I mean, they, they sometimes, I mean, even went with one guard, four forward lineups. <laughs> I did not expect that, but when you have the, the shooting versatility that they do with Camden, who can be a, who's kind of a three, who is more of a four in the system, but also, you know, emergency could be used as a two, or you have, you know, Lynn Kidd. Uh, you know, who, you know, like she was able to slide into the Bazilli role with Bazilli moving to the wing. You know, there's just so much versatility that they have, and I think that showed. And look, I, you know, you have to think that there's a weight lifted off this, shoulders, this team's shoulders right now. Um, I mean, when you lose seven straight games, it's just one of those things where it's just like it just gets heavier and heavier. It's like, when are we going to finally end this thing? Now you're no longer thinking about when are we going to end this thing. You have, you know, momentum. You have the, the, the lack of just the, the pressure of a losing streak. Um, and I think that's showing right now. And I think you're going to, this team is starting to look, is playing like the team that for a seven game losing streak was rightly ranked in the top 25 and had people talking about are they the best team in the ACC? Um, so, big week obviously ahead though um, with at Miami and UVA, but also two big opportunities to Absolutely. pick up huge quality wins this week and really continue to change the narrative about this season and turn this thing around. Tim Thomas joining us on the program from the Tech Lunch Pail. I agree 100%, and, and that's what they have to do next, Tim, right? They have to go out and win a road game. They haven't done that. So it's time to go to Miami and show that, yeah. okay, we're back and we're ready to go, right? That's the first thing they have to do is figure out how to win a game on the road. Yeah, I mean, look, Miami's obviously a tough one to have to do, to do it. But, yeah, they're going to have to win a few. Like especially when you look at the schedule. I mean, look, they could build out. They could go 9-2 and two and lose to the good teams they face on the road at Duke and Miami and go win it on a tear at home UVA, Miami, Pitt, and then beat a bunch of easier teams on the schedule as well. Or I guess it would be 8-2 or, or yeah, 8-2 um, the rest of the year. And then, But you got, you're going to have to go on the road at some point and win a game because you can't afford to lose at Notre Dame. Can't afford to lose at Georgia Tech. Can't afford to lose at, at Louisville. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's a question. Um, I don't think you have to worry too much about that game. Shoot, I think I might be able to play one of the five. You might be able to put me in the starting lineup against Louisville. Actually, might have a chance in that one still. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this would be a way to say, hey, we can go win on the road. Um, you go beat Miami. And look, there, there's something to be said about, you know, John Shire said something interesting after last Monday's game is the tur- they felt the turnaround was just tough in terms of getting tape and film in front of these guys on what Mike Young and what Virginia Tech wants to do. And that, they said that affected them. And so it's not, a, it's not a Monday, but it is a Tuesday game this week at Miami. A little shorter turnaround than the Wednesday turnaround that you see plenty of times in the ACC. So... It'll be interesting to see, you know, how does, how does Laranaga prepare. But, of course, the Jim Laranaga should be a, should already have been in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Thank goodness we'll be in the, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame soon, hopefully. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, does that turnaround, you know, once again, help a Virginia Tech? Because of all the, the many plays and all the different things that Mike Young can do, it has in his playbook in many ways on offense. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But I think, like I so said, the bigger opportunity is probably the UVA game. 
when you get when you get when you get those games at home in Castle Coliseum with the students on campus, that's a game changer regardless. And you know, I think that's that's the bigger of the two. But both, if you if you're attacking, you want to go one and one this week at worst. One and one at worst. At worst, right? One and one. Yeah, you go one and one. Look, I know they'll they'll they want to go two and zero. Obviously, whoever who wants to lose ever. But if you go one and one. That'll be a very good week in terms of the continuing progress and turnaround of this team relative to the schedule they have remaining. They got two and zero this week. I mean, you're going to see a lot of people. I think probably, in all honesty, have them projected in the tournament again, yeah. just barely. But yeah. they go two and zero. I think you're going to see it because two quad one wins in one week and a team that'll be at that point sixteen and eight. I want to say or fifteen and eight or something like that. Um, and honestly. One of the things that helps them is the fact that if they can get onto the bubble, onto the heart of the bubble, you know, at least get onto the heart of the bubble. Ideally, you want to be on the safe on the inside. But if if you're on the heart of the bubble, they'll look at they'll they'll, they'll notice that Hunter Couture was out. They'll they'll notice that Hunter Couture missed a stretch of the season and how you played with and without him. Um, they'll absolutely take it into consideration. They've done it before with injuries, but. Injuries that, you know, happen right at the very end or players that miss four shot time during the season. I put it back to the NCAA tournament. Jim Thomas joining us on the program. He is the founder and editor of the Tech Lunch Pail. And, Tim, well, let's switch to some recruiting because you guys are already all over 2024 and you had some updates from the weekend at some key positions at tight end and at wide receiver for maybe 2024. Yeah, busy weekend in, in Blacksburg. Um, another junior day. Well, busy week. I mean, you know, it, it's weird to say there's been two junior days since we last talked, but uh, with the yeah. Monday junior day. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a fascinating group. You had, of course, our wide receiver, Keelan Adams, headline day. Look, that guy is going to be maybe the top overall target for Virginia Tech this class. Um, you know, he is an absolute stud out of the 757. And, you know, I mean, you got all the big, obviously, the Penn States, the Miamis are all involved. And this would be a big recruiting battle if they could win it. Uh, this would be a huge one for G-Tech to get, you know, arguably the top recruit in the state. They can get back on campus. Obviously, they can some top contender. You also had, I mean, you had four, you know, four-star wide receiver Chance Wiggins this past Monday um, on the first junior day. You had a couple four-star offensive linemen, including one top of both top 100 in the 2024 and 2025 classes, respectively. Um, but, um, yeah, you had those guys. Jordan Seated, who came up on, uh, on Thursday, Jay Todd McFadden, Ari Watford, who might be the best kid in 2025, was on campus. You know, there's some other, like Cameron Clark, talented tight end out of Tennessee. Uh, some big-time offensive line, other, beyond the, the two guys I mentioned, some other big-time offensive line targets, including Anthony Knapp. Out of Georgia, who Tech was the first offer, and it was just Dev or the first Power Five offer, just Dev in Charlotte and UMass, and then he's blown up. Uh, Penn State, North Carolina, Duke, Georgia Tech, and others uh, have got involved as well. So, you know, and so there's a lot of it. There's been a lot, a lot of good talent on campus. Uh, three-star athletes projected the DB for Get Tech's eyes, Joshua Clark, and it's State kid. A uh, lot, a lot of good players on campus recently, and so. Uh, a lot of good campus on Saturday as well. And so, got to keep the ball rolling. Obviously, they didn't get some of those bigger guys that you want on campus, and that's going to be a priority for them to get those guys on campus to the spring. Um, 
we, we are headed back into a dead period here for a few weeks. Um, we get a, we get a, feel a little, in some way, a brief breath. It would be nice to see Tech pick up a competitor too here soon, um, just to just to build some momentum with the 2024 class. It would be good to see Tech get a, a committer two on the board. Prior. Nope. Uh oh. We may have lost him. I believe we did lose him. There we go. You cut out there for a little while, Tim. Do we have you back? Are you still with us? Yeah. yeah, I'm still here. Okay. All right. We had lost you there for just a second there. Must have been a dead spot. Um, how much How much refreshing is it for you to be able to talk about recruiting like this to see what this staff's doing after the final couple of years under Justin Fuente? Right? What a difference night and day what this staff's doing. I mean, there's just a different, there's just a different energy. And you have some big-time recruiters. I mean, Montel Mines has proven himself to be a fantastic recruiter. Derek Jones has a tremendous reputation in all facets as a coach and recruiter. Um, I mean, that helps Joe Rudolph is, you know, one of the best of the best on the offensive line. And to get right in terms of all person who he targets is that it's historically been at such an absurd rate. I mean, it's tremendous. And so, that's part of it. Brent Price is, is a very good recruiter himself. You know, Sean Quinn's proven to be a really good asset to this team on the recruiting trail as well. And so, you know, that helps. <laughs> it helps when you have high-caliber recruiters as well. And, you know, it's clear that, you know, the Commonwealth has taken notice of what Tech has done and how this is going to be back to the Beamer-type. You're going to see Beamer-type classes in terms of the amount of Virginia recruits in these classes compared to other states. They will go to North Carolina to get some kids. They'll go to Tennessee, Tennessee and Central Tennessee, if you're going to see that. They'll go to Pennsylvania. They'll go South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. I mean, Florida, I know, is outside that footprint, quote-unquote, but if you look at Tech Houston, you know, under Beamer and whatnot, they went into Florida to get a couple kids every year. Um, you got them. It's more and close enough. And so, you know, obviously you go to Maryland, too, in, in the D.C. area. But, you know, like I said, it, it's they put, they you know, they put them to their word. Now they got to start closing, though, on some of these top-headed state kids. That's the biggest thing this class you want to see is a class that you have, six, seven, eight, four-star type kids in there. You want to see a more high-caliber class. Last cycle was a great foundation rebuilding, you know, in-state ties in a big way, especially what they did at Richmond last year. Um, now this is the cycle where you got to build on that, and you got to take, take a jump in terms of the caliber that you're landing, especially in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so far, I think Tech is on track to do just that. Well, I know you guys will stay on top of it, Tim. And as always, brother, we appreciate your time, and I hope you have a great week. We have lots of stuff to keep an eye on, I know, over at the Lunch Pail. Oh, yeah, Rick. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, busy time. we got a whole lot of stuff. We've got some women's basketball and wrestling recaps as well for the weekend. Big win last night for the women's team, bouncing back from the Duke loss to win at UVA. Got a home game against Syracuse this midweek, and then six straight games against teams currently ranked. Florida State may drop out after going one one this past week, but six straight games. It's a huge stretch coming up for the Tech women's team, and you know they can do well. They have a lot of home games in that stretch. They do well in that stretch. They can usually push themselves towards being not just a four seed. I think they're kind of projected right now, but a two or three seed. If they sweep them, if they were somehow just going like a five six game winning streak during that stretch. Who knows? Maybe Tech has still has a chance to get a one seed. 
All right, brother. Well, listen, we'll keep an eye on all that, and uh, we will talk to you again next Monday, man. Stay safe. Appreciate you having me on, Ray. All right, thank you. There you go. That's Tim Thomas. He's the founder and editor of the Tech Lunch Pail, and they'll have all your recruiting updates. They're keeping track of all the visits. If anything breaks out of the portal, either coming or going, I mean, they'll have it all for you to go along with their basketball coverage and uh, everything else going on at Tech. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and we'll wrap up the Monday edition of the program after this. Hope you're okay, wherever you might be. Good stuff today. Good reaction from everybody. Nice level-headedness regarding everything that happened last night, I'll tell you. We'll be back. He won't sit, but oh boy, does he speak. More Big Dog Sports Talk next on WRAD. I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Kind of the way a lot of us are feeling after watching the officiating debacle that was the Kansas City Bengals AFC Championship game. <laughs> well, Ronnie, you sent in a text message that I think is true. Here's the problem with the NFL. Regardless of how you feel about it, perception is reality. And right now the perception is that this game was not on the up and up. The league can't afford not to address it. Well, we'll see, Ronnie. I hope you're right. It's still, by the way, I just looked up, it's still number one with a bullet trending on Twitter. And now we're getting into the 9 o'clock hour coming up. So it's still there, morning after. And we'll see if the league, I doubt they will. And again, you won't get a lot of great coverage. You're going to expect to see it. You're definitely not going to see it on the four-letter network. Because again, anybody who's in bed with the league is not going to sit there and talk about this and bring it to the forefront. Right. So we'll see if um, anything will be addressed or not. I doubt it. They're already, I'm sure, talking about how they're going to get their Super Bowl hype beginning already. Good stuff today. That's tough. You know, it's not what you want to talk about coming off a of championship Sunday. We had really kind of ended up being kind of a lousy championship Sunday, right? The Eagles game wasn't competitive after the San Francisco quarterbacks were hurt. It was an afterthought, really, in the second quarter. Nothing to watch there. And then you had the good game, boy, exciting fourth quarter coming up, and everything now has been derailed by um, the calls that weren't made and some of the calls that were made. And it all just kind of washes out. The league does have a perception problem amongst many of its uh, patrons, but they just always seem to sweep it under the rug. We'll see if they can afford to do it that way again this time. Tomorrow, Mike Burnup joins us. Jermaine Farrell, and David Smith. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the Tuesday edition. Take care.
us here at News Center 4. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley. <laughs>